Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, August 6th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The White House considering more extreme vaccine measures as the Delta variant fuels a nearly unprecedented spread of coronavirus infections from coast to coast. After more than a year of turmoil, promising economic news emerging, the July jobs report showcasing growth in the labor market as the White House touts the nation's economic recovery. And 25,000 people in Northern California now under evacuation orders as the Dixie Fire spreads, the historic town of Greenville now in ruins. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The rate of vaccinations is slowly increasing around the country as more and more residents here in the U.S. heed warnings from health officials. This as the White House considers more aggressive strategies to further boost vaccinations. Lorraine Cáceres has more on what's to come. U.S. health officials getting ready to roll out a booster shot strategy by September before the possibility of a fall wave of COVID-19 infections. We're looking at many different areas and everybody is, is assessing the science. As that science evolves, um, we will report that science to the American people. A decision could come sooner for people who face a greater risk from COVID-19 and its variants like the immunocompromised. Right now, cases are still increasing, the seven-day average reaching almost 90,000, the CDC reporting about 92,000 cases on Wednesday, and on the vaccine front, still half the country remains unvaccinated. You know, what we're seeing in our projections demonstrates uh, two different extremes. If we uh, work together, unify as a country, vaccinate everyone who is uh, interested in unvaccinated and, and put our masks on to prevent disease, we could really control this in a matter of weeks. However, our models show that if we don't do so, we could be up to several hundred thousand cases a day, similar to our surge in the um, early January. And some around the country are heeding the warning after a huge drop, daily vaccinations slowly increasing. Tennessee has seen a 90% increase in first shots over the past two weeks. Oklahoma, an 82% increase. And Georgia, a 66% increase in first shots over the past two weeks. Clearly, Americans are seeing the impact of being unvaccinated and unprotected. Still, the White House aggressively ramping up efforts to further boost vaccinations, now considering withholding funds from federally funded institutions like nursing homes and universities until all employees get their shots. Meanwhile, on the polarizing issue of masks in schools, the Secretary of Education on Thursday speaking out on the matter. When you wear masks, when you provide distancing, when you... Uh are testing regularly and when you're quarantining you can function in a school so we're expecting our education leaders and our educators to follow those practices that worked last year um, and we expect our students to be in classroom every day and the president of the american federation of teachers which is the second largest teachers union in the country stopped short today of saying she supports a requirement of vaccination for teachers she went on to say that 90 percent of the union's members are vaccinated and that they're now looking at options to see how they motivate the remaining 10 percent to get those shots andrea back to you 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Meanwhile, a new poll shows most Americans support the CDC's new mask recommendations. The Quinnipiac University survey out Thursday indicates 61% of respondents agree with those measures, while about a third oppose the mask recommendations. Also in those findings, 55% majority wants to see masks in schools, but both issues are split largely along party lines. More than half of the respondents support vaccine mandates for health care and government employees. Fewer than half want such requirements for students or business workers. And as we've been reporting, Texas and Florida now account for a third of all new cases nationwide, according to the White House, with Florida repeatedly breaking records for hospitalizations in the last couple of weeks. Now let's go ahead and take a look at those specific numbers. Over 11,000 people were hospitalized this Tuesday alone, numbers not seen since the peak of July of last year when vaccines were not available. Also, the state now averaging 18,000 new daily cases, a sharp increase from just four weeks ago when President Biden declared freedom from the virus during the July 4th celebrations. The Florida Hospital Association, which crunched all these numbers, also expects critical staffing shortages in the next seven days. Joining us now to talk about this is Mary Mayhew, president and CEO of that organization. Mary, thanks so much for being with us today. Welcome to U News. Thank you. My pleasure. We're seeing the same numbers in hospitalizations now as last summer before vaccines were available. What exactly is driving this surge? You know, Florida appears to be on the front end of this Delta variant, but of course we're seeing this around the country. But right now what we saw was rapid escalation in COVID hospitalizations. Uh, last year, what took 60 days to go from 2,000 cases to 10,000 cases, we have done in less than 30 days. So rapid escalation today, we have almost 13,000 individuals who are hospitalized for COVID in Florida, and they are younger, they are healthier, or at least healthier before arriving at the hospital, and they are acutely ill, 25-year-olds on uh, ventilators in intensive care. Very different than what we experienced previously. 60% of hospitals in the Sunshine States expect staffing shortages in the next week, according to your data. Can you expand on these numbers? What type of staffing specifically are you talking about? You know, Andrea, we've had a healthcare workforce shortage before the pandemic. The pandemic uh, has absolutely exacerbated those challenges. 17 months, our frontline healthcare heroes have been on uh, at the bedside, dedicated, running toward this crisis to meet the demand, the exhaustion, the physical, the mental health exhaustion, obviously uh, creating more challenges to ensure that we have nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists at the bedside. So yes, we are concerned uh, about the ability as hospitals are expanding capacity, uh, putting beds in cafeterias and auditoriums. We still need to have the nurses, the physicians at the bedside to meet those needs. And I would like to add that there are some hospitals within the state that are pausing certain procedures in order to meet those demands that you just mentioned. Now, Florida is also leading the country in the number of daily cases. Why do you think the state is faring worse than other states? 
I really do believe we're at the front end. You are starting to see similar increases in other parts of the country. Uh, our spike just happened here first. And, and again, this is a virus that we continue to learn something new about almost daily. Now we're dealing with a different variant, the Delta virus. It seems to be getting worse in terms of the, this is more infectious. It's leading to greater complications. So this is really about, uh, unfortunately, it is attacking the unvaccinated population. Over 90% of those who are hospitalized for COVID are un vaccinated. And again, we're looking at 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds who are today in the hospital for COVID, whereas last year it was uh, our population uh, much older, over the age of 65. That younger population is definitely being impacted now. So let's go ahead and talk about the risk for kids. Florida has the highest number of hospitalized children right now with 135 being reported as of today. Do you know how many of those are perhaps in ICUs and on ventilators? And if perhaps they have any pre-existing conditions, as you noted, this population still is not eligible for the vaccine, those under 12. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data. I think we do want to just focus on uh, continuing to analyze all of this information to better understand what it means for trends. Uh, no one wants to see uh, a child, a baby hospitalized for COVID. The numbers are still small. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, concerning uh, to see that age group being hospitalized for COVID. So we are uh, continuing to gather that information, understand what it means and, and how best to, uh, as hospitals, to continue to respond to these challenges. Definitely some troubling news. Thanks so much for your time, Mary Mayhew of the Florida Hospital Association. Take care. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And now to Washington, D.C., where the president is touting the nation's economic recovery and new jobless numbers from July. Over 900,000 jobs were added last month, higher than expected, a sign that the economy continues to bounce back from last year's crushing shutdowns. Janet Rodriguez is in Washington, D.C., with the very latest on this. Janet. Andrea, yes, this is very great news really for the country because this is the second month, a straight month where we create nearly a million jobs for the U.S. economy. We're talking that the unemployment rate fell to 5.4% from 5.9% in the month of June. 943,000 jobs were created in the month of July. That number we hadn't seen since August of 2020. So for a whole year, we hadn't created this many jobs. And the sectors that were most benefited through the job creation were the leisurely and hospitality. We're talking about bars, restaurants, hotels, anything in the entertainment industry. However, this sector is still short 1.7 million jobs from before the pandemic where they had many, many more jobs. The president, as you said, spoke before leaving the White House about this economic recovery. However, he said that his message was not of celebration because we still have many hurdles to overcome with the pandemic and now the Delta variant. Let's listen. Now, while our economy is far from complete, and while we doubtlessly will have ups and downs along the way as we continue to battle the Delta surge of COVID, what is indisputable now is this. The Biden plan is working. The Biden plan produces results. And the Biden plan is moving the country forward. 
and wages have also continued to rise, Andrea, although some economists are worried, concerned about what the Delta variant may mean for the economy in the next couple of months, especially with the mask and vaccination mandates popping up across the country. But for now, the economic outlook is very strong. Back to you. It's a situation that we will continue to monitor. Thanks so much for that report. Janet Rodriguez reporting from Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, the Senate will have to wait until Saturday at noon to move forward on an infrastructure bill after failing to do so Thursday night. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer appears to be giving lawmakers a day to negotiate. And after that, he wants to vote on shutting down debate on the $1.2 trillion plan. Senators failed to reach an agreement on all those amendments Thursday, so it's unclear if Republicans will block the bill this weekend. And the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office is weighing in, saying the infrastructure bill or this plan being considered in the Senate will add $256 billion to projected deficits over the next decade. The plan has bipartisan support in the Senate, but some lawmakers wanted to see a CBO score before deciding whether to support the measure. It's not clear if the CBO's finding will sway lawmakers who were on the fence regarding the massive bill. And now to New York, where state lawmakers say their impeachment investigation of embattled Governor Andrew Cuomo is nearing its end in the wake of a shocking report by New York's attorney general finding that he sexually harassed 11 women. And the first criminal complaint was filed against Cuomo with the Albany County Sheriff's Office. The DA there saying if the allegations are substantiated, it's possible the governor could be arrested. New York state legislators signaling their impeachment investigation into Governor Andrew Cuomo's alleged conduct is wrapping up. I think that the assembly is going to be moving at a much faster pace than we had ever thought before. Uh, I think there's a consensus in the assembly that he should be impeached. Uh, that could happen within a matter of uh, weeks, uh, if not sooner. And then he, he goes to the Senate. I don't see any possible way he avoids conviction. In a letter sent Thursday, lawyers for the State Judiciary Committee informing Cuomo's legal team they have another week to turn in additional evidence, noting the assembly will soon consider potential articles of impeachment. This would give his team an opportunity to present facts and their perspective. All this happening as at least four New York district attorneys look into possibly taking criminal action against Cuomo, requesting additional investigative information from the state's probe into sexual harassment allegations against him. He not only has potential criminal liability in four different jurisdictions, but a different branch of the AG's office is still looking into whether he misused government resources. Cuomo is denying the allegations and refusing to step down despite growing calls for him to resign. I began the process of trying to talk him into resignation, uh, seeing that resignation was the best course of action. His attorney saying in a statement, the governor will cooperate with the assembly and appreciates the opportunity to provide a submission to them, an opportunity not provided by the AG's investigators, who acted not as independent fact finders, but as prosecutor, judge and jury. The report omits documents, emails and testimony that contradict its narrative. The governor is also under fire for his handling of nursing homes during the pandemic, using state resources for his multi-million dollar book deal, and now these searing allegations of sexual harassment against 11 women. 
Attorneys working for the Assembly's impeachment probe have invited Cuomo to submit additional evidence to them by no later than August 13th. The Dixie Fire tore through the small northern California town of Greenville overnight, burning much of its historic center to the ground and leaving stretches of the community unrecognizable. That blaze has been raging in the area for three weeks, spreading an additional 100,000 acres overnight. It's now the third largest wildfire in California's history. Meanwhile, the river fire continues to grow as crews work to contain it. Located 45 miles northeast of Sacramento, that blaze led to the evacuation of thousands of residents in Nevada. It started Wednesday afternoon and has since exploded to over 2,400 acres. At least 50 structures were destroyed by the fire and more than 500 fire personnel were assigned to help battle the flames. Meanwhile, drought conditions are getting worse in the West. The U.S. Drought Monitor reports the unrelenting lack of water is now an issue in more than 95% of the region. This week, seven states are officially in a drought. Montana, the latest to join a list that includes California, Nevada, and Oregon, among others. But there were some positive updates. Arizona saw improvements due to seasonal monsoon rains. And Colorado has also experienced significant improvements since the beginning of the year. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. San Francisco police tweeted out this photo Wednesday. Take a look right here. It shows a woman holding what looks to be an assault rifle out of a car window. Police did say officers with the department's traffic division were able to identify the vehicle and impound it. It's not known if the woman has been identified or arrested. And a California family's grief over the death of a loved one in police custody has turned to a crusade for justice. Jaime Garcia has more on their search for accountability. It's very painful. I can't forget. They can't kill my son. These are the words of a mother begging for justice. Her son, Wilson Barrios, died last March 20th after being three weeks in a coma at the Los Angeles County Medical Center where he was transported by custodians from the Peaches Detention Center, where he was incarcerated. Wilson's family refuses to believe that this father of two children committed suicide, as was ruled by the medical examiner. They claim that his body showed the marks of a savage beating. When I went to see my son the second day, he was all bloody. I couldn't recognize if that was Wilson. He had blood all over his head and he wouldn't talk or see anything. My son had bruises in the forehead, on his arms, his legs, and if he had committed suicide, he would only have a bruise in the neck. Wilson Barrios was an exterminator specialist that even had a small part on a television show, but he was incarcerated and convicted for homicide two years ago. If you're in there regardless, like they're supposed to protect you, you know, it doesn't matter, that's their job. 
you know, and somehow, like, it was, they failed. There's a lot of unanswered questions here that the family wants answered. They know it's not suicide because of all the bruising, all the bloody face, the, the dents in the head, uh, the fractures in the face. This Latino family announced a federal lawsuit demanding an investigation to clarify the circumstances of Wilson Barrio's death. Civil rights lawsuit in the Central District of California for the violation of his civil rights. Uh, also, negligence on the gross negligence on the part of the LA County Sheriff's Department, which they're supposed to be protecting the inmates. In the federal claim, they request a monetary compensation for the two children that lost his father. Each child should get a million dollars. We'll put in a high interest bearing account for them so they can they can have something in their future. The Los Angeles Sheriff Department said that because of this pending process, they cannot make any comment about this case. En Los Ángeles, Jaime García, Unius. Thanks for listening to Unius the podcast. Don't forget to follow Unius on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you.